0: Okay, friends, going to invite you to return to your seats. Hopefully everyone has got communion elements. Yes? Good. Hopefully some of you return to seats closer to the front, because I actually pulled my dad up closer. So There's feeling very lonely up here. Okay. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we entered into our worship this morning seeking Your face, and we we reminded ourselves several times of Your Word in Psalm one hundred that says, "Enter Your gates with thanksgiving, and enter even further in, into the courtrooms, into the courts, the courtyards, and the courtrooms with praise." That there's a There's a presence we can access that only comes about through gratitude and worship. And we do that again here now, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Every time I've ever had a congregation call out something they were thankful for, the first thing is always family. Thank you. Thank you for these special people that you put into our lives. Thank you for friends who become family. Thank you for the community of brothers and sisters that whether we are friends or not, you have put us together and made us one. Thank you. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have invited us in, that the, the gates are open, the courts are open. We can, we can walk in. Thank you. What did we ever do to deserve that? it's it's incredible that you make yourself known and accessible it's not because we're worthy though it certainly does grant us worthiness thank you we enter your courts we see how good you are we have worshiped you this morning because of your goodness we have worshiped you this morning because your goodness is an expression of your character that you you do it out of a heart of goodness out of a heart of generosity wow we serve a god who doesn't need anything I can't imagine what that's like not to need anything. And that's you. And and in pondering that, we, we recognize that there is a love there that isn't a taking love or an insecure love. There is a healthy and whole and beautiful love that you have and you are out of your wholeness, out of your awesomeness and majesty, that for some reason, although you don't need us, you seek us, that you open gates and doors, that your people might meet you because you desire us to meet you. What an incredible thing, Lord. We worship you. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, and all that is within me, praise his holy name. Lord, I thank you for your word, I thank you for your spirit. I pray that there would be an interaction between your spirit, your word, and our hearts, minds, ears, our strength, our wills, our desires, that you might get the response that you want. May that response include praise. May that response include gratitude. May that response include obedience. May it include appreciation for things that we had taken for granted, for people we had taken for granted, for opportunities we had taken for granted. Lord, I pray that your word would birth good things in us this morning, not because I am great, but because you are, and because you will back up your word. Would you give me what I need, please? Would you give us what we need? That your word might be heard as you intended to be heard. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you grab your Bibles and go to John 13, please? Just from where you're sitting right now, what is in the foreground and what's in the background? Just from your perspective right now, just call it out. What's in the foreground of this scene here, right in front of us? I'm not talking about John 13. Just right in front of us. What's in the foreground? I'm in the foreground. Okay. And what's in the background? The beauty of God's creation. Okay. Oh, yes. I thought you were speaking just generically. You're right. On the wall behind me is the beauty of God's creation. Perfect. I I appreciate that. Okay, so we've got a foreground and a background in this particular scene that we are sitting in. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they get to the, the upper room with Jesus and they focus on communion, they have communion and the elements in the foreground. John has something different in the foreground. They, they put, for example, um, Jesus washing of the feet in the background. They don't even talk about it, right? Because they want to foreground something else. They want to focus on these particular elements and what they mean. John is not going to do that. John is going to do the opposite. It's the same scene, And both are true, just like Ben is here and God's beautiful creation is here, but we're going to focus on one rather than another. John is doing the same thing. He's going to focus on one aspect of this scene or a couple aspects of this scene that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't focus on at all. So we are going to celebrate communion, and then communion and the elements are going going to go into the background of the the scene, and we are going to focus on what John focuses on in this scene, but we should not lose sight of the fact that it is because of the cross that we are in this scene. And it, and it, these elements, as they represent God's, um, Jesus' body and his blood, are in the background of all of what we are going to see this morning. All right, so would you take these, body and blood? Actually, drat. I'm going to mess this up. (laughs) Would you take what you've got and would you give it to the person next to you? You're sitting by yourself. You're going to have to find someone else to give it to and make an exchange. Now you can open them up. My apologies. Earlier in John, Jesus says, the life that I give for the world is my flesh, his body and his blood. So would you take body and blood in remembrance of him? We celebrate Jesus Communion is now moving to the background, not because it is not important, but because, in a sense, it's not so much the background as the foundation of everything else that comes. Regardless, it's going to fall into the background for us for a moment. And I will explain why you exchanged those elements with someone later on. What comes to the foreground in the Gospel of John is not the body and the blood. It's, first of all, the foot washing that happens during that time. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to repeat that. But we're going to go into John 13, and we're going to look at what John chooses to put in the foreground instead, aside from the foot washing. So I'm going to start, and I'm going to read the first five verses, and then skip down. So John 13, beginning at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them the end, to the fullest extent that he could. During supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, and Jesus, knowing that the father had handed all things over to him and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he got up from supper and laid his outer garments aside. He took a towel and tied it around himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. Now, would you skip down to verse 21, please? That's part of the foreground we covered a couple weeks ago. Here's where we're going to focus today. After Jesus had said um, in verse 20 that those who receive the um, the one who receives anyone I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. When he had said these things, there's a shift. He became troubled in spirit. And he testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, take this especially seriously. As much as I am Jesus and everything I say is right and proper and true and good and you should receive it, pay a special attention to this. Please pay special attention to this. I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. Lying back on Jesus's chest was one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter nodded to this disciple. We know this to be John, but he simply goes by the beloved disciple in this particular passage. Peter nods to John and says to him, Tell us who it is of whom he's speaking. Who is it? He says. Then he, John, simply leaned back on Jesus' chest and said to him, Lord, who is it? Then Jesus answered, That man is the one for whom I shall dip this piece of bread and give it to him. So then Jesus took a piece of bread and he dipped it and he took it and he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And after this, Satan entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you're doing, do it quickly. Now, none of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to Judas. But some were assuming that since Judas kept the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, go buy the things we need for the feast, or else that he was saying, give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, he, Judas, left immediately, and it was night. Therefore, when he had left, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and he will glorify him immediately. Little children, I'm still with you just a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, Where I'm going, you cannot come. I am giving you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people, by this, loving one another, that is, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter, who didn't catch that, says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus responds, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. This is the word of the Lord. We give thanks to God even when they're hard words, even when they're weird words, even when they're words we do not yet understand, even when they're words that we wrestle with because our experience says one thing and God's word says another. We still give thanks to God. And it's part of placing ourselves under the word that we say, Thanks be to God. It, this isn't ritual, right? God is good gave us his word. We say thank you. So thank you, Lord, in advance for what we are going to see and what you are going to give us in and through your word. John puts three people in the foreground. Matthew, Mark, and Luke put some elements in the foreground and focus more on them. John puts foot washing and then these three people in the foreground. Let's start with the last one, Peter. Peter has a very high view of his own commitment to Jesus, doesn't he? Too high, in fact, right? May that be a a check engine light for us, right? As As we reflect on our own level of commitment to Jesus, because Peter's is not as high as he thinks it is. And boy, am I Peter, right? Peter is also one of those guys. So if Peter's level of commitment is is higher than he thinks it is, Peter's a pretty spiritual person, right? This, This is one of Jesus's sort of inner three guys, right? Jesus discipled many people. He focused more on 12. He focused particularly of those 12 on three, and Peter was one of them. Peter had a lot of things going for him, a lot of things that reinforced his own level of commitment, his, he reinforced his own level of his, spirit, his understanding of his spiritual life. I can, I can see myself in Peter, which means we'd better be ready to admit that there are circumstances that may press us to the point where we would say, I don't know if I know this Jesus. We better recognize that ahead of time. Jesus saw it in him. And there's Judas. I know that Judas is the bad guy, right? He's the villain, right? But let us not forget, Judas was one who was far closer to Jesus than many of the other people in that day. He had a better relationship with Jesus than most of the crowds. He had a track record of looking like and imitating his master. Jesus, or Judas, was one of the guys sent out on missions, and they come back and say, Lord, we did what you did. We healed the sick, we cast out demons, we preached good news in your name, and we got good responses. This isn't simply some guy who's faked it. There was a level of the, the life of of Jesus being produced in him, and the Spirit is on him enough that stuff is happening just like it happened with Jesus. He was given the authority that Jesus gave him, and he went and did what Jesus did. And he does betray. But it's not as if he faked the whole thing. So, what happened? My suggestion to you <laughs> What happened to Judas? We could probably think of a number of things, and I'm not saying this is the only one. We could probably look at pride. We could probably say, look, maybe the track record is part of what deceived him, just like perhaps it deceived Peter. That could very well be true. I'd like to suggest to you, however, that Judas got disappointed with Jesus. This... This whole kingdom thing, this whole Messiah thing, this whole program that you've got, Jesus, isn't working out the way that it seemed like you had promised us. Disappointment with God. You mull on that. It's a suggestion. I'm not going to go to the stake over it. It's worth pondering, though where our disappointments with church life, with the way God is at work, with the pastor, with the people in the pews, with the way that we think God should be at work in the world, in a church or in the world, maybe aren't working out the way that we'd thought. Because Judas sells out a guy he had been following, but something shifts. Peter's in the foreground. Judas is in the foreground. John is in the foreground. Look at John. Look at verse 23. Lying back on Jesus' chest was one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Do you know where John is? John is in the place that chapter 1 describes Jesus being in relation to the Father. If you don't believe me, go to chapter 1 and look at verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. God, the only Son, who is, now my translation says, in the arms of the Father. It's the same Greek word. Kolpos, on the chest of the Father. He's the one who has explained him. The relationship that Jesus had and has with the Father is the relationship that John, the beloved disciple, gets with Jesus. Same word. What Jesus gets with the Father, John gets with Jesus. That's for you, friends. Do you believe that? In fact, John leans in. Peter asks John a question. And so John, leaning back in that special place on Jesus, leans in even further. Verse 25 of chapter 13, when he'd been asked the question, then he simply leaned back on Jesus' chest and asked the question, The guy who had a relationship with Jesus, like Jesus had with the Father, leans in even further. This is an opportunity for all of us, friends. John is no more special than you or I. That's one of the ways that we so easily get deceived as we read the scriptures when we categorize them as special people and us as ordinary people and we never have access to what they have access to. John found access to something that Jesus had with the Father. It's the same thing for us. right? James says, Elijah was a man just like us, and look how God used him. Right? God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't categorize relationships and blessings for some people and not for other people. It's accessible. Now, you might think that the point of my message is actually be like John, and that's only partly true. sure, be like John. It is accessible. Certainly. I'm not saying don't do that. But don't think that John's spiritual formation was simply John and Jesus. And see, so let me speak personally. As an introvert, introverted person, The lie that I so easily believe about spiritual formation is that it just happens, me and Jesus, by ourselves. It's not true. Certainly, there is a component that 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 individual one-on-one should be there. But John is a disciple in relationship with 11 other disciples around that table at the moment. In fact, when John leans in to ask Jesus a question, it's in response to what Jesus has just said to the group and what one disciple says to John. Do you see the communal relationship that is happening here? John's spiritual formation didn't simply happen between John and Jesus, as though Jesus just took 12 disciples and discipled them individually, John over here, then Peter over here, then Judas over here, etc., etc., as if they just had a relationship with Jesus and their spiritual formation didn't take place within the entire community. So, introverts, especially, we need each other. If we want to grow into the life of Jesus, it's going to involve spiritual formation with and alongside the other people at that table. We can't do it just me and Jesus in a Bible or a podcast or a song or something like that, because that's my default preaching to myself. There is a spiritual formation that only happens in us in community. As Peter says, ask. As someone else in the group is about to betray, not just Jesus, but betray the entire group. I mean, when you betray Jesus, you're betraying all of his followers, right? It's not Judas is about to betray John and Peter just as much as he's about to betray Jesus. And he's putting all their lives in danger. This isn't simply um, Judas is going to opt for a new club. Their their lives are in danger. That's where spiritual formation takes place. When people offend us. These are the people that Jesus just washed their feet, including Judas's. Friends, we need each other. And Jesus knew that so much that he says in verse 34, I'm giving you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you so you also must love one another. Have you ever heard the joke? It's, it's a silly joke, but there's truth in it. You know, people say, don't pray for patience. Why do they say, don't pray for patience? Because God will send you opportunity to practice. Thank you. Well, so there's truth in that, right? Absolutely. What, what happens when you pray for Love. God will send you opportunities to be with people who are very hard to love. We need each other. We don't get the life of Christ birthed in us and growing into full expression unless we're actually living the life that Jesus lived, which was constantly being bombarded by people who actually weren't like him. In fact, some are going to betray him. Some are going to say that they're up here in their level of commitment with him, but they're actually down here, but they're not even aware of it. It's going to be this abrasive and at times really clashing community of people. And Jesus says, Love one another. And the only way to love one another is actually to be together and ask for that love and then practice it as people betray, as people, you know, brag about their level of commitment and and show their level of superiority. Like Peter. Like the life of Jesus gets produced in us among people who are not like us. And we cannot get the life of Jesus just with me and Jesus in a podcast, just me and Jesus and a book, just me and Jesus and a song. As much as I tried to do that for years, years, and I will still default that way, It's simply not true. Just a point of clarification. I'm not blessing the sin in the room, right? So I'm not blessing the fact that you are an abrasive person and you can now give more people here opportunity to grow in love, right? Like, we're not blessing that, But that's exactly how the life of Jesus and the love of Jesus gets formed in us. You see, strong need the weak and the weak need the strong. I mean, it's obvious why the weak need the strong, right? It's not so obvious why the strong need the weak. But the strong need the weak so that as that weak, abrasive person spouts or or dismisses or insults us or whatever, we have then an opportunity to grow in the life of Jesus and how we respond. That character cannot be produced with a book and a quiet time by itself. There are aspects of of our lives and our development and our growth and our wholeness that we will never grow into, so we will never look like Jesus if we are only around people who like us, people who don't require patience, people who don't require love, people who don't require service. We will grow in an awkward and weird way that will not be healthy or whole. I'd like to pause here, and let's just take a moment and say, Lord, regardless of what's been said this morning, what do you most want to say to me right now about this? Would you take that moment, close your eyes, do that one-on-one time with Jesus? Do you see why we exchanged communion cups now? Why I had you pass someone else your elements? Because we need each other. Because it's not simply me and Jesus because each person in this room actually has the opportunity to bring Christ to another person in the room. That's why we exchange communion cups, because Christ is in community, and he forms his people in community. We, we framed this next section of John, chapters 13 to 17, that we're going to move through as preparation for hard times. But it's not preparation for hard times by ourselves. It, if we go, are about to go through hard times, and we are, a whole variety of levels, we will not meet those hard times properly and be fully prepared if our preparation is in isolation. It won't happen. We need each other more than ever. We sometimes, and again, I'm preaching to myself, we sometimes tell ourselves I would be at the next level spiritually if I had more spiritual people around me. There's a certain truth to that. We do need iron sharpening iron, but we also need you know the lead, and <laughs> we need the we need the the copper and the bronze. And you actually do need to hit and bump up against the other people who are at different levels than we are. And that will actually be part of reaching the next level of life with Jesus. It'll be how we respond when someone, at, you know, how do I put that? We all have triggers, right? Call them pet peeves, call them triggers, whatever it is. Uh, there are certain behaviors at home right now that I'm realizing more and more, like this, is, this isn't just, that's annoying. It's like this is triggering me. And it's at those precise moments where I have the opportunity to become more like Jesus. Not in the stuff that's easy to deal with, in the stuff that's hard to deal with. So as we go out into our work weeks, as we return to our families for which we are grateful, um, we're going to have opportunities around the dinner table we're going to have opportunities as we drive. We are going to have opportunities as we as we say I, my spiritual formation will not be in rejection and isolation from those who are different from me or for those, from those who um are you know just not at my my spiritual level or whatever it is. Um there is a life of Christ able to be produced in you where you are right now. Let's take it. Let's pray. Lord, on a Thanksgiving weekend, I hope that to the degree that what I have said this morning is true and from you, we would then grow in appreciation of the other people in the room. Even when some of them have bothered or triggered us, we will grow in appreciation of the people in our work lives and on our street and around the table, even when we get triggered. Lord, I I pray that you would grow us to see these more and more as opportunities to practice and grow in loving one another in order that the world would know that we follow Jesus because we look like him. Because you, in those very moments, produce your life and your love in us, and people see it. And they say, Ben didn't bring that to the table. There's got to be more. Lord, would you do that kind of thing in us? Would you grow us to truly love in word and in deed, in thought and in action, the other people in the room? Lord, would you make us like Jesus, who didn't come to be served, but to serve. Who earlier in this passage washes the feet of the people he created. Lord, I pray that where pride, a sense of status, or rights get in the way, I pray you'd identify those things and remove them. That the things that block us from thinking lovingly, and therefore we're not going to practice it if we're not thinking it, Lord, would you rewrite those things in us? Would you help us truly to see the other person as a gift from you, no matter how insulting or abrasive? No matter how hard we feel like they are to love, make us like Jesus, Lord. May we view and value one another from the perspective of your love and our own spiritual formation. For what's next? Prepare us. Make us ready, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just so one one more thing came to mind as I was praying. You're you're welcome to come up. This is just take a second. Um at Chantel's school. I don't know if it's still there, but I was wandering through the halls a couple of years ago and outside the kindergarten classroom, it said the children who need love the most ask for it in the most unloving ways. May we more and more see that, not just in our children, but in one another as well, because they need it. Let's worship. Thanks for being here, friends blessings on the rest of your Thanksgiving weekend. Please help us out by refreshing the bathrooms, putting the chairs away, make sure that the chairs that we stack have all four feet on the bottom so we don't scratch the floor. And I believe I thought I heard the Lord say there's someone with an ankle problem. So if you want prayer for an ankle or just anything else in general, come on up, be happy to pray for you. Go now in peace to love and serve the Lord. May the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit carry you through the week and give you love like Jesus. Have a great week, friends.